Thank you very much, and uh, thank you for coming along to listen. So, um, one of the uh, lesser-known facts about today uh, is that it's an important democratic festival. Uh, it's the 3rd of May, which celebrates the uh, Constitution uh, in Poland in 1791, which was the first written constitution uh, in Europe. The United States was the first in the world, uh, Poland was the first in Europe. So, um, with that as the theme, I'm going to talk a little bit about how democracy and data uh, interact. So, the interesting thing about the Constitution of Poland, and this is not the way you usually expect open data lectures to start, was that it had, in a strange way, a kind of democracy among its nobility. When the king died, they had an elective monarchy, that they called themselves a republic under the presidency of the king. Every single person who was male and of noble birth, and if you weren't a male or of noble birth, then frankly it didn't matter, um, could turn up at a place called Wola, just outside Warsaw, at an appointed day to vote for who the new king should be. The only rule was you had to turn up on horseback. So the 30,000 Poles standing around in the field were the ones who elected the king at every royal election. And it feels to me like this is a bit of a... Well, this is rather a good description of the way democracy works. Because democracy is not just something that is about rationality and about process and about very formal, inst- uh, very formal interactions that you can measure and that you can look at the data of. Uh, it's also um, something that's... Uh, a uh, rumour running through a crowd, it's people talking to each other, it's community, it's lots of very hard to measure stuff, and of course quite a lot of horse byproducts. So the things that I want to talk about today are the five levels, or the five ways in which I think democracy and open data specifically, but data in general, interact. Now, I think data starts from a position of, open data and data in general, starts from a position of certainty. You know, data is something that is known. And one of the things I think that, uh, that I would like to leave you with from this particular talk is that democracy is something that is really not known. So that process diagram that we looked at for the legislative process is a very kind of step-through cycle. You can imagine you might make a, a web app for that or a website that kind of goes through that. And if you look at the Parliament's website, which is actually pretty good, you can see that they take every single bill through these stages and it all looks terribly logical and terribly rational. Now, I used to be a civil servant. I was a civil servant for 10 years before I, before I uh, did the thing I do now. And the most notable thing about the policy-making process before any of this starts is that it feels a lot more like something like a storytelling. You, you weave together what the minister wants and some evidence and some stories that you've heard and things that MPs have heard on the doorstep and bits and pieces from all over the place, and you weave it into something that's called a policy. And that policy is where this very rational, very logical, very balanced process starts. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think that's a perfectly natural thing. But the the process that's at the start is much harder to see and much harder to measure and much harder to influence with technological tools than this very clear and calm and rational process at the end. And one of the projects that we've got underway uh, in DEMSOC is working with the Cabinet Office on open policymaking. And open policymaking is often taken to be better consultation, and that's part of it. But actually, it's, it's understanding and opening up all of the sources of evidence that policymakers, ministers, MPs, civil servants, local government officers, that all of them might use. So those five interactions. The first one is just information. So, you know, our, our Polish election, Jan Spieski's six foot one inch tall. Doesn't mean that it's relevant necessarily to the election, but it's true. You know, it's there, it's a fact. The second level is relevant information. So, you know, Jan Sobieski was, uh, you know, was in the Senate and he said we ought to attack the Turks. Now, that's information that is relevant to the election because you might not think that another war is a good idea. 
So you might think, well, no, maybe I shouldn't vote for him. The third level, and this is the part where I think it gets much more difficult than simple open data, is context. So maybe Jan Sobieski thinks that we should attack the Turks because unless we recapture Kamyanets Podolsky, then we're going to have an open southern border. And that's going to be very dangerous for us. Now, that suddenly, that suddenly turns from a thing that has been done or said or a statistic into something that is much more soft and much more unknowable. Something else that's soft and unknowable is what the mood of the crowd is. Now, as it happens, uh, Jan Sobieski was elected by all of those 30,000 polls with only 12 people voting against so he was pretty popular, and you, know, you can imagine that the mood of the crowd would be sensed that it was going to be pretty much a one-horse race, or 30,000 horses and one winning horse. And that's, you know, that's understandable, and you can, you can imagine now, and you know, things like, uh, I forgot the name of the package now, but various, various tools that are available to people to, to mine social media allow you to get an impression of what's happening in a crowd. But the problem is it only gets you an impression of the bit of the crowd that you can see. So a lot of data about people's interactions is, is more visible than it was, but that doesn't mean that the people who are interacting, whose data you can see on Twitter or wherever, are a representative sample, or really that you, know, you, you can measure the representativeness of them unless you know exactly who they are. So it's, 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 you can see that there is a data element to this part of, de of the democracy and data interaction, but it's not, it's not as clear as it sometimes seems. When you look, read a marketing brochure, about how this piece of software will mine social media and tell you what everyone's thinking. You know, it sounds really impressive. In fact, you're only seeing the opinions of a very small group of people. And the hardest part is connecting conversations. And for me, the, the fundamental of technology that's completely unrealised and maybe will not be realised for another 20 or 30 years around democracy is to understand the civic interactions that are going on and to try to connect them together and to create better conversations, not by saying here's a website, go to the website, have your conversations on the website. But by understanding where people are having those conversations and going out into those networks to see what's being said. So it's a networking of networks, rather like the internet, rather than a place that you come. So to go back and have a look, think about these in a bit more detail, I think open data is, is something that has been one of the huge triumphs the last few years. You know, there's, there's some, I know everyone in this building will go, well, yeah, but what about this and what about that? It hasn't happened and we need more of this and we need more of that. And that's true. But if you think about where we started from a few years ago, and God knows I was a civil servant in the 1990s, I wasn't even allowed to have, a, have the internet unless I had a senior manager sign off the approval to, to, have me, to let me access it. You know, if, you don't, if, you don't have, uh, if you go back even a few years, it's, it's astonishing how far we've come. And I think the, the reasons for that are that open data is comparatively, I know this is going to you know, rile some people, comparatively easy. Not, not important, but comparatively easy politically. And the reason for that is you know when it's done, so people like Chris Taggart can go and hit people until they do it, and when it's done, it's done, and you know it's done. The second is, maybe with a few exceptions, there's not much political consequence to opening up data. Now, Telegraph might be a slightly different example, but you know, if you open up data, unless you are putting something really embarrassing out into the world, it's buried in tons and tons of other data, and no one really understands how it all fits together, but hey, you opened up the data, that's great, open data's good. But the most important reason I think that open data is comparatively easy is you don't need to change your behaviour. Now, you sort of do, as in you can't really honestly participate in this kind of open movement and think about open public services unless you change your behaviour. But honestly, how much do we think civil servants' behaviour has actually changed as a result of publishing all this open data? I would say not that much. And I think that's partly because it's easy to publish the data, it's hard to change the way in which you interact and to change the level of openness with which you interact. 
So we are saying do different on open data in the hope that that leads to be different. And we've definitely got quite a long way on do different. I don't think we've made much progress on be different. So those, I think, are the comparatively easy sides. When you get to context, that's where I think the, the next challenge is for open data and, and, its, and, its, use for, and its democratic usefulness. So uh, I hope everyone's looking at the finger. finger. Of course, the real thing is to look at where it's pointing. So the context, the data is the finger. The context is the sky out of the window that's pointing at and I think that it, we have made some steps in the direction of understanding, using data to understand the context in which decisions are taken. This is a fantastic site, which I absolutely love. Uh, and I've cut off the URL, so I now can't remember what it's called. But I shall, I shall tweet the link later. Um, it is, uh, it's an American site that was, that was funded by the Knight Foundation, which goes through every single person in every single level of government, from Barack Obama down to the dog catcher in Peoria, and shows how, many, how much they took in political donations and from which source. And you can see for every committee of the Senate and every committee of the House and all of the local councils exactly how much money they took. And if you click through on the donors, you can see how much money they gave to Democrats and how much money they gave to Republicans. It's brilliant. Now, it's cynical to assume that just because you have the data on how much money people had, that means you understand the context for why they voted the way they did. But at least you understand part of the context. And this, I think, is a really clever way of using open data. The, um, something that's happened in the UK, I think one of the lunchtime lectures that I wasn't able to come to was about uh, legislation.gov.uk, is about opening up the legislative process and, and mapping and, and understanding the legislative process. My wife's a lawyer, um, and I mean she, she has to deal with acts of parliament on community care and housing law, uh, and it, it is very, 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 very intense and complicated stuff. So it will start by saying, oh, well, we're going to change three words in an act that was passed 30 years ago that has subsequently be amended by something that was passed 10 years ago that's had a Henry VIII clause. So all of these interactions are mappable and knowable. But they are hard, and, and some of the stuff that legislation.gov.uk has done is, is really clever on that. That provides the context for the decisions, but doesn't necessarily provide some of the why. It provides some of the how. And my society, you can't not talk about They Work For You, which is, which is a great site and I, I absolutely love. But even my society, or my society as well, are smart enough to know that Sometimes the data doesn't matter, and sometimes the data isn't context. So have, you know, has used three-word alliterative phrases, she, she sells seashells, 199 times. This is my MP, Caroline Lucas, Brighton Pavilion. Um, and the why is this here link, if you click on it, I don't know if you've ever used the site. If you click on why is this here, it says because sometimes numbers don't matter. And actually sometimes numbers don't matter, and, and wider aspects of context are right. So I've had an interesting week in many ways, not least because of the chance to speak at the Open Data Institute, which is wonderful, and it's election week, which is always exciting if you're a democratic geek like me. Um, but the other thing that's been interesting is I've had not two, but three uh, meetings with people who want to tell me about their new e-democracy platform. Now, I get quite a lot of that, as you might imagine, and I think the, uh, the problem is not a shortage of platforms. If the problem was a shortage of platforms, we would have solved the problems of e-democracy a long time ago. Um, but the reason that, it, the reason that platforms are not the answer, is not because platforms generally don't work, but it's because democracy and the way in which democracy works is particularly ill-suited to technological platforms. Because although you can do some things online, you can make some things clear online, the fundamentals of interaction in democracy have to be across the entirety of the population. And you know, empty restaurant syndrome, empty pub syndrome, call it what you like. You can stick up a, a, um, a uh, platform like the BBC did with ICANN or Action Network, and you can get an enormous number of people not going. And most importantly, the people who do go tend to be a little unrepresentative of the population as a whole. 
So I think the, the challenge of platforms is not that we need to build a better platform, not that we need to build a Facebook of democracy, but that actually we need to build an internet of democracy. We need to find the information and the data that is, a, that is out there about the way in which people are interacting and to try to connect it. Not to connect it in the kind of... You know, one of the interesting stories about this is the European Parliament, which obviously gets a lot of stick, as the European Commission, rather, which gets a lot of stick, um, was criticised for reading people's Twitter feeds the other, you know, to, to see whether they were... You know, to see whether people were making points about Euromyths that they could then counter. Because it was seen as government spying. Now, obviously... There is a wide range of paranoia of various interesting types about Europe in the world at the moment. Um, but it was interesting to me, and I think you know, fair enough in some ways, that people didn't feel that they were putting stuff on Twitter for the government to read or the European institutions to read. They felt they were putting it on Twitter for their mates to read. So there's something in the, there's something in the networking, in the connection of those uh, citizen actions that is about politeness and about the way in, about whether something is meant to be a civic statement, whether it's meant to be something that has democratic value or democratic purpose, or whether it's just someone talking to their mates. I don't think we have the answer to these, but I think the challenge, I think the challenge of it is to try to create something that is passively participated in because your data is being shared and being used, but at least semi-actively consented to because it feels like you are you know, doing something that is a civic act. And I, I come from a political tradition that's called civic republicanism. Uh, it's nothing to do with chopping the head off the Queen, although, you know, there are pros and cons. And um, the, uh, the, the civic republican tradition says that you ought to participate in government. Not because, you know, you get better decisions. Better decisions, I think, do come out of that, but that's just a side effect. But because it's the right thing to do. And being civic and being citizen and being a human being is about participating in the way in which you're ruled. And that's, a, that's an old tradition. I mean, that goes back hundreds of years. Um, but at the same time, the Internet of Citizens that I'm talking about is that kind of civic republicanism in a way. It's about making the choice to be a citizen. But the most important part about anything that you do on, in, in the democratic space with citizens is that, you know, this, this is the guy I'd rather be than Mark Zuckerberg any day. It's John Postel. Because it's about being actively open. Not saying, doors open, come in if you like. But actually going out and making the case and making the... Uh, example, putting out the examples for why people should come in through the door and why people should participate. So I think there is a really interesting design challenge, and I think we live in a really interesting time when it comes to democracy, actually. There is a really interesting design challenge for all of us. For me, as a politics wonk who doesn't really understand data and understands computers a bit, but only if they're Macs, um, right through to people who really, really do understand the data at a very deep level. The challenge is to, is to work together <coughs> on this connected internet of citizen action. And to encourage people, and this is my job, to encourage people to take part. So the thing I would say to try and kind of bring my sort of very brief remarks to a close before I take a few questions and we kind of start chipping in, uh, chipping in with discussions is that open data is a bit like electricity. Yeah, it's, it's the absolute fundamental minimum that you ought to have if you want to have a better democracy. It's completely, completely necessary. But it's also not the only thing. You also need context. You need to be able to see why that data is how it is and what the options are and what the other choices were that were available. And you need to understand the conversations and the participation and the democratic sphere and the civic sphere that's going on around you. And I know this seems like it's the wrong place to say it, but I also think you ought to say the human element in it and that understanding the human nature and the community nature of democracy is, is, is a really important thing. 